For those of you that don't know, that's Johnny Cash, and that's our very own Johnny Cash, Danny Ritzke, saying that. Yeah, it was awesome. Great. Thanks, Danny. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to continue reading the, the rest of that passage that Eric read a few minutes ago from Revelation chapter 19. It'll be on the screen. Uh, I'll read it aloud. You can follow along. Verse 17. <clears throat> and I, John, saw an angel standing in the sun <clears throat> who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves. On their flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <coughs> well, welcome to week two of a series that we're doing this summer on the book of Revelation. <coughs> we're trying to understand it, if I can talk. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we're, we're understanding what John is writing to us. And uh, here's what I want to do this morning I want to talk to you uh, about hell and judgment. And here's my lofty goal, okay? Because I know you're like, oh, wow, I'm so excited to hear about that today. Um, here's, here's, here's my goal, okay? I hope by the end of this that you see why those are actually good things. Now, that's a lofty goal. So if you're on Facebook Live uh, or if you're sitting here in the room, I just want you to stay with me all the way to the end because all the way in the end we're going to tie all the pieces together uh, because we're talking today about the problems in the world and how they're too big for us. And how they're overwhelming. And so I'm going to paint a picture here at the beginning that's pretty dark. And honestly, you're going to feel really heavy and you're going to feel really bad. And you're going to go, why did I come in here to listen to this today? I want you to stay with me all the way to the end, okay? So that we can see what John is telling us about Jesus, the rider on the white horse. Game for that? Okay, all right. When I was uh, living in Virginia, my wife and I lived in Virginia. Our two boys were born in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, one day, one of, a friend of mine said, hey, um, I want you to go with me uh, up to D.C., and I want you to go with me to uh, IJM. And I said, what's that? He said, just come with me. And so we got in the car, drove the, about the 70 or 80 miles it was to Washington, D.C., Drove to, to the heart of Washington, D.C., went up into an office building, uh, to a, an office on the 15th or 16th floor that overlooked the Pentagon. And, and as we walked in, there was a sign on the door that said, International Justice Mission, IJM. And we went in, and there were pictures all over of people from all around the world, women, men, children. Uh, and, and it was obvious that the people in the pictures were people in destitute circumstances, uh, IGM was founded by a guy by the name of Gary Haugen. Gary Haugen's a lawyer. He's a Christian. Uh, before he founded IJM, he worked for the State Department. When the massive genocide happened in Rwanda in the 1990s, when the Hutus and the Tutsis literally wiped out, uh, I don't remember which was which, but they wiped the other side out. Literally a genocide. A million people were literally slaughtered by their neighbors. In the aftermath of that, the, the United States State Department wanted someone to go and see what happened and see what the response might be, and so they sent Gary Haugen to go see that. 
based on that atrocity and then atrocities he's seen across the world, massive injustices, he, he built this organization known as International Justice Mission. They're generally Christian people who are lawyers, paraprofessionals, paralegals, uh, caseworkers around the globe who go into the worst possible situations you can imagine and work to rescue people from trafficking and slavery and horrific, horrific situations. So we sat down uh, there at the beginning of the day with them. At the beginning of the day, they, they have all their office there, all their staff, and they pause and they pray for the first 30 minutes of the day silently and privately, and then they come together and they have a, a, a meeting and they have a prayer meeting. And now we, we pray for all your cards. I don't mean to diminish anything that you're facing because you're facing some things that you need help with. But they were writing things on the board that they were going to pray for, and it was things like, uh, pray for the, the president of Zambia in our meeting on Tuesday because there's some human trafficking things we've got to deal with. Uh, pray for the prime minister in our meeting with the prime minister because we've got to help them see that they need to change their policies because of what's happening in their country. I mean, it's just these massive, massive things. And you can listen to Gary. Gary has written several books, and he's got talks on TED Talk, if you know what TED is. Uh, you can listen to what he talks about. But in, in one, of his, one of his talks, he, he kind of outlays uh, some of the atrocities that he faces on a regular basis. And I've got some pictures of the, I'm going to show you. Uh, here's one of a woman. Her name's Venus. Venus lives in Zambia uh, in Africa. It's kind of the central part of Africa. And, and Venus uh, was a traditional African woman, uh, kind of a subsistence living uh, existence where she raised grain and then would sell it in a stall that her and her family had. And everything was just fine for Venus and for her family uh, until her husband died. When her husband died, her neighbor, and this is a real person, by the way, this is not a made-up person, uh, her neighbor whose name was Brutus, uh, came, kicked her and her family and her children out of their house, stole her house, stole the goods in her stall, and she was now destitute. There was no 911, there was no law courts, there were laws, but there's no courts or police to enforce them, and because of that, she was destitute and at one point had to watch her son, Peter, die before her eyes because she had no way to get justice. Griselda is a girl who lives in Guatemala. Guatemala's been in the news with the volcano that's erupted there. Griselda, a Christian girl, uh, also from a very destitute family. She was walking home on Sunday from church. Uh, some men fell on her, brutally beat her, and raped her. She had no recourse, no one to talk to, no judge to go to, no police 911 to call. She had nobody to go to. Uh, in fact, I got some stats on this. The women, 15 to 44, who are the victims of domestic and uh, sexual abuse around the world in situations like Griselda and Venus, um, the, the, the death and disability that comes just from that abuse is more than car accidents, disease, and war combined. This is Rahman. Uh, Rahman lives in Southeast Asia, and if you were to see Rahman, if you were to go there and you were to see Rahman walking, what you would see is a man carrying 100-pound sacks of rice, and you'd be glad you didn't have that job. But what you wouldn't know when you saw him is that he is actually enslaved. He and his family are actually slaves. And if you know anything about modern-day slavery, there are more people enslaved today than have ever been at any point in human history. Some 35 million people have been enslaved today, this moment, this second, in multitude of places around the world. And they have no recourse. They have no police to call. There are laws, but there's no police. There's no judge that's going to give them any sort of justice. Now, this can feel so far away. 
We go, ah, that's not really true. You're just telling me a story. There, there was a woman in Oregon. I'm going to play you a, a recording of a call here in just a second uh, in a real town in Oregon, and they had uh, no money in the city bank account to have 911 service on the weekends. This woman had been assaulted by a man, and the man came to her door. She was alone. And uh, so she dials, she does what any American would do, picks up the phone and dials 911. And I want you to listen to the call right here. We've got a recording of it for you. Listen. In Southeast Asia today, if you live there and you decided to enslave your neighbor, you would have a higher likelihood of being struck by lightning than being taken to court because of your illegal actions. Now, I hear about atrocities like that that happen around the world, and I have some questions, and my questions are things like, who is going to make this right? Who is going to punish the people who do these kinds of things, and who's going to save these people? It, those kinds of things don't just happen here. They happen, it happen there. They happen here. The first place I was on staff at a church was in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, the church that I was a part of was a, a kind of a wealthy congregation. They'd been in the same building for many, many years and still are today uh, in the main part, kind of near the downtown of Wichita, Kansas, if you know anything about that area. And, and as time had gone on, the neighborhood around them aged and kind of fell into a decrepit state. So when we would have youth ministry stuff, a lot of times kids from the neighborhood would walk because they had nothing else to do. And this girl, I'll just call her Allison. That's not her real name, but I'll call her that. Uh, Allison was in the seventh grade when I was there, and when she would come to events uh, and, and go on trips like the junior hires are going to do here in a couple weeks when they go to St. Louis and serve on a mission trip, and we would do things like that. She would always have a bag of candy, and she'd always be eating candy. And we would say to her, I'd say, Allison, why are you eating all this candy? She's like, oh, I just like candy. And when you looked at her, you could see that her teeth were rotting out of her, out of her face. And we came to find out later that she smoked, and this was her way of covering up the aroma of the smoke. Uh, it wasn't too long that uh, Allison showed up and as a seventh grader, and you, you knew when you met her that when she went to school, she got made fun of, and you knew that she didn't have any friends. She was really socially awkward, didn't know how to talk to people, and her speech just really, it was hard to understand her. She showed up one day, and I don't have to draw the lines for you because you'll make sense of this, and she was, uh, she was pregnant. Now, when she would come to events, I, I don't know how else to describe it, to you other than this dark truck with this shadowy figure inside the truck who was her father would drop her off and then that same shadowy dark truck would come and pick her up and that man in the car never wanted to be known and it didn't take much for us to make connect the dots as to how 
she was in the situation she was in. I looked up some of the stats on domestic uh, abuse, and uh, most women never report it. Uh, they're every nine seconds when you average it out, a woman is beaten or assaulted in America. One in four women, that means one of every four women in this room, have experienced violence in their lifetime. It is a $37 billion a year problem in the United States. I was uh, talking just a week or so ago with another pastor in another church, and uh, he was asking me about the, the For the Region. He said, hey, I see this For the Region thing. Tell me about that. I really like that. And I talked about how we're trying to, you know, quarterback hope in the region. And, and he told me uh, about how he has an intern that works for him, and he said, I, 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 we do a lot of stuff in trailer parks, trying to meet the needs of people that live in trailer parks. And so I said, I had my, an intern call every apartment complex in Porter County and get the, the amount. And he said that the minimum amount the, the, that you can get an apartment for in Porter County is $650 a month. And for $650 a month, that means you also have to have three times that um, yearly in yearly annual income, which means that if you are a single mom or a single dad and you work a minimum wage job, you almost can't afford it. Which means that your only option is to maybe buy, a, you might buy a trailer, but it's a $1,500 trailer and the floor is falling through and you don't have the money to repair that. And then the water heater goes out and you don't have the money to repair that. And you're just stuck. There's nobody coming to help you. And it's a cycle that you almost can't get out of. You've probably heard about the, the heroin epidemic and the opioid crisis that's happening around our country, especially here in Porter County and LaPorte County. Uh, the number of people who uh, are abusing Oxycontin, a, a mainline uh, drug that's sold by a, a pharmaceutical company. The number of prescriptions in some places outnumbers the number of people in many counties in America. Uh, people are, they say, uh, breaking their own arms and wrecking their cars so that they can get another prescription given to them for a drug like Oxycontin. And if you trace Oxycontin where it came from, you find that it was uh, marketed by a family who was aware of the abuses but continued to do it because they've made millions and I think now billions of dollars. Now, I have questions about those things that have happened in our country where we live, and it's the same kinds of questions I have about the things that are happening globally, and the questions are, who is going to set this right? Who is going to hold accountable the people who do these kinds of things and abuse people in these ways, and who's going to save those people? Now, we can, we can say, well, you know, that's, those, that happens there, and some things happen to other people around me, but, you know, I'm innocent. <laughs> We've all done something. I mean, the, the, the picture that the scriptures paint is that all of us, on some level, have things that we have done. It says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us have done dumb things. We've cheated and stolen and lied and manipulated. I, one of my favorite uh, Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. says this, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. It's so often someone will do something really dumb with their life, and then they go, why are you doing this to me, God? Oh! I'm like, well, you made your own bed, buddy. And I just so often see affairs and addictions and aspirations that go wrong. And even in the middle of that, people feel so out of control and they don't know how to stop it. And, the, and I have the same question about that that I have about the global atrocities and the national atrocities, it, which is, who is going to set this right and save us? Who's going to do it? 
Now, you've got to understand that what I, the picture I've just painted for you and the feeling that you have right now going, what in the world is wrong with our world? That is the backdrop of Revelation 19. And so on the backdrop of that, that everybody feels that, that's the world that we all live in. Uh, John, who saw a vision on the island of Patmos where he was in exile and wrote to us what we know of as Re- Revelation, which is often misinterpreted and misunderstood, we hear, he says to us, and I saw heaven opened and a rider on a white horse. And we go, oh man, somebody on a white horse. Because what is every story that you have ever heard growing up, every fairy tale, every movie with a king riding in on the horse, what color is the horse? White! Because you know immediately this is the good guy who is here to make things right. This is who we're talking about. Now, before we move on, it's important you understand, kind of a, you get a, an interpretive grid to understand Revelation. Uh, many people look at Revelation, the book of Revelation, and they say that it is only about the future. And uh, I, I'm not saying that's not the case. Jesus definitely talks about the future. If you read Matthew 23 and Mark 17, Jesus says there's things that are to come, and we need to be aware of them and pay attention and be about our Father's business no matter what. Uh, but sometimes the people who read the book of Revelation as a future-only book, they turn it into a code, and it sometimes surpasses Jesus, almost like, you know, I know it. I know you say Jesus does this, that, and the other, but the book of Revelation says blah, da, 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 da. Listen, the key to understanding the Bible is not the code in the book of Revelation. It's Jesus. <laughs> and, and the key to understanding life and making sense of what's going to come in the end times is not the code in the book of Revelation. It's still Jesus. Right? So I'm not saying there's not a few, there's a future-oriented component to it, but at sometimes when people, they get all kind of weird, right? We'll talk more about that as, in the weeks to come. Uh, some, some interpreters read it, and they say it's only about the past. And if you read it, as we talk about the beast in a few weeks, uh, when John is writing, it's, if you know the history of Rome and that there's seven hills around Rome, and at one point there's seven crowns, and you go, well, he's talking about Rome and the emperor of Rome. It's only about past. I'm not sure it's only about the past. I think that it is a critique for Christians in any age on how to live in a corrosive world where we just don't know what to do and how to fix the problems. What do we do in the face of that? And so John says, here is this rider on a white horse. And so this passage, right, is, is a passage of hope, and it is also a passage of warning. And we've got to pay attention to both of those things because uh, this is what he's saying is this is the guy. This is the one on the white horse. He's the one who's coming to make things right and save all of these people. So he says that that rider is called faithful and true, and with justice he judges and makes war. And this is, he's, the, he's the type for every hero. Uh, He's, his name is Faithful and True, and he judges the world with justice, and he makes war, and his eyes are blazing, and he wears multiple crowns on his head, and he has a name that nobody knows. And then, then his mysterious kind of thing, he says in verse 13, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. What in the world is he talking about? Now, notice, a rider comes up from heaven, and then a few verses later, there's what appears to be a war. Now, the rider comes from heaven, and his, blood, his robe is dipped in blood when? Before there's a battle, right? So here's what John is saying. This is the crucified king. This is Jesus who has offered himself on a cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, for your sins and for my sins. He's already defeated sin on the cross, and he is here now cleaning up the mess. So when you see his robe dipped in blood, you need to understand his, it's his blood shed for you. 
And then it says, very weird, it says, verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. Now what in the world does that mean? I mean, are we supposed to picture a literal person with a sword coming out of their mouth? Again, this is figurative kind of language. And it is his word. It's what he says. It's what he speaks. Now, maybe if you know the, the Bible to some degree, you know the very first place that God speaks and something happens is Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God says, let there be light, and there was light. It's just his word accomplishes his deed. That's what happens. And then Hebrews chapter 1, we give you a little Bible tour right here on this whole subject. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 says, Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And he sustains everything by his powerful what? His word, right? When Jesus is in, uh, in Mark chapter 5, when he goes uh, to the place across the lake and there's two men there that are beyond hope they the people in the village feel what you felt when I described the world that we live in they're like we don't know what to do about these guys they're crazy they're possessed by a demon and this is what John says is that Jesus speaks to the demons his word he says come out of this man you impure spirit and they leave it's his word his word is his sword uh, in Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus is dealing with a leper and the leper comes up to him, the way Jesus heals him is that he speaks to him and he says, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is living and active. And then it gives a picture of a sword. Listen, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And this is a scene of a sword. You know when a sword cuts, it cuts all the way to the bone. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Paul even says it in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about putting on the armor of God. He tells us to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Even Peter in Acts chapter 2 when he's preaching his after Pentecost sermon, and he tells the people what they need to do. Listen to what they say. It's a sword image. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is when John's telling us that he has a sword coming out of his mouth. He's, he's pulling from all these images in the scriptures. And so what does the rider on the white horse, Jesus, what does he do with his sword? Well, he takes the beast and his false prophet and he throws him into a fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest he kills with the sword coming out of his mouth. What? He kills them with his words. He cuts them to the heart. Now, you got to see this, right? This, this is a movie scene. This is the, every movie you've ever seen that's like this. You have the good king that is the movie, the scene of the movie gets painted. You see that the king is good. You know that his heart is right. You know that his motives are always right. And then there's always the evil king who's trying to usurp the good king. And the, you know he's terrible. You know everything he does is impure. And you know the good king rides out and he takes his army with him and he goes personally in the battle and he himself kills the evil king and his nasty henchmen. And then the really good, in the really good movies, he stops and the whole battle stops and the king speaks to everyone and says now and that's going to happen to you if you don't stop get out of here and change what you're doing and that you you're so excited that the good king has triumphed that's that's the scene that john's painting for us uh, when he says what happens he says his word is what does it his word is what brings the judgment on all of us now, we have to respond to this in some way because this is, again, this is a, a message of hope and it's a message of warning. And I want to give you three ways that you can respond to this, that you can uh, take this message 
into your own heart and into your own life. And here's the first one is I don't want you to, I don't want you to settle for fake hope. When we look at the, the, the needs and the problems of the world and we get overwhelmed by them, we want to solve them, and so we often settle for fake solutions. One of the ways that we uh, have fake hope is we think that we can have salvation by money. Well, I'll just buy my way out of it. I'll pay for this, and this will stop. Did you know that the number one, the number one employer in Africa, which is just like Venus's world, I've been there, born there, it's, it's, uh, it's a, there's no police, there's no 911 that you can call in almost any part of Africa, with a few exceptions. The, the number one employer in Africa is private security. Because there are multinational corporations that make millions and billions of dollars. I've seen their operations, some of them in those major cities. And they buy the security that they need. They have the money to save themselves from the corruption. Guess what that means? If salvation only comes by money, Venus and Griselda and Ramon and Allison and the people in the opioid crisis, they can't save themselves. They're out. But we sometimes think, well, if I have enough money, then I could solve all my problems in my life. No, you cannot. Another thing that we do as Americans is we think that, okay, well, I know it's bad in the world, but we, we choose salvation by optimism. And so instead of riding in on a white horse, we go, we're going to ride in on a rainbow horse and say positive things and plant flowers. It, but it's not going to solve anything, right? How are you going to go to Venus and say, Venus, it's okay. Just think positively. It's all going to get better. Griselda, I know that you have no police to call. It's all good. Just think positive thoughts in your head. It's all going to be good. Like that's the American solution because we're not aware of the severity of the needs of the world, even the world around us. It's a fake hope. And then there's, then there's this is one that people often turn to. They say, well, okay, there's salvation by force. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go in, we're going to kill them all, and we're going to let God sort it out. Yeah. The problem with that is if you go into Venus's village and you go in, guns a-blazing, and you wipe all those guys out, you kill those guys, but you know what they have? You know who, Venus ha- you know who Brutus has? Brutus has a son who watches that happen. He says, I hate those people who came and did that to my dad, and I'm going to take his place. It's what Walter Wink calls the myth of redemptive violence. Like, I'll solve violence by more violence. Now, notice that the rider on the white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth never uses a physical sword. It's just his word. And that's our example. So don't settle for any of those fake hopes. They're not going to work. They're not going to solve the problems of the world. Those three horses won't work. You know, I, I have no proof of this. Uh, but this is my own interpretation of the passage. You know what I think the name of the white horse is? You know what I think his name is? Grace. And the rider of the white horse rides in with grace. Because the rider on the white horse loves the Venuses and the Griseldas and the Allisons. And you, when you're stuck and you don't know what to do. And you have to cling to that. That's your hope. Here's the second thing, is that you've got to uh, listen to the warning. This is a warning. There's a warning in this passage that there's a rider on the white horse, and he has his army with him, and then there is the beast and his army, and, and the picture that he paints is black and white. You are either on this side or you're on this side. There is no middle ground. We think that we can ride the fence and that there's middle ground. John says, uh-uh, 
you are either on this side or you are on this side. It's why Johnny Cash wrote the song. I think he was inspired by, I don't know this, but Revelation 19. You know, here's, here's the words. Go tell that long-ton liar. Go tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's going to cut him down. In other words, you stay on the side of the beast. You, you stay in that pattern. At some point, the sword is going to cut you down. It's going to happen. Now, many of us don't like the idea of hell and judgment. We don't, we don't like that. Like, how could a loving God send people to hell? No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You make a choice. Let's just say that you found a way to make a lucrative income by stealing people's credit cards and credit card numbers, and uh, you, you had a whole little setup. I know it happens because I've had it happen to me multiple times. Someone's doing really well. <laughs> And I, I hear about it, and uh, I come over where you are in a basement on the south side of Chicago uh, with all of your computers and phones and whatnot, and, and I come in, and I'm like, listen, as I was coming here, the police are here, they're, they're coming, but here, I've got a deal for you. If you'll give all of this up, then you can come with me, and I've got a plea bargain. I can work with the judge. I can get you out of this. I'll pay all of your legal fees. You can come live with me. I'll help you get a new start in life. Uh, it can be better, and you go, nah, I really don't want to do that. If you face the judgment, if you're cut down out of that lifestyle, was that my fault because I didn't do enough? Or did you choose? Right? You chose. And so John is saying, if you chose that, you can choose something else. Now notice something, that the beast and the false prophet, they're thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation says the lake of fire is the second death. It's the end. When you're incinerated, ain't no more. But they're, 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 he kills them with his word, and their, their flesh is there. You know what God can do with flesh? He can resurrect it. <laughs> and so you could say, okay, God, I need a resurrection. I'm, I, I've been cut down, and my life is a mess, but I need a resurrection. I need a new hope. I need a new start. I need a new beginning. And at that point, you can listen to the warning. You can switch sides at any time. Any time. And here's the third thing, is that you would actually take hope. You would take hope. Because there is a rider on a white horse who will make things right. I don't know what to do about the atrocities of the world. I don't know what to do about the horrible things happening in our country. We can do some things. We can't do everything. I don't even know what to do about the things inside of me. But you know what? I know the rider on the white horse. And so I have hope. Because guess what? Guess the name of the rider on the white horse is faithful and true. The name of the rider on the white horse is not Scott. The name of the rider on the white horse is not you. So you're not the one who makes the judgment. Guess what? I can now give up judgment. I can now give up saying I've got to figure out what to do. Because the rider on the white horse is going to do that. (laughs) I don't have to worry about it anymore. And I can take actual hope. that now. So do you understand that when we go build a well in Malawi, Africa, when we get socks and underwear for people, when we have a back-to-school fair, when you take someone some soup because they're sick, do you understand that you're participating with the rider on the white horse in making things right? Do, do you see that? That you're now doing something positive with your life because now you've switched sides and now you're, now you're, you're not only receiving hope, but you're taking hope to other people. Do, do you see that? That's what you can do. I'm going to pray for you right now. I, I know that I've not wrapped up everything, and it's good to be, uh, have questions, and it's good to go, but what about that? But what about this? So you got to come back next week. Uh, 
we're going to talk about this some more. But I want to pray for you. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And if this is the day that you need to switch sides when you need to heed the warning and you need to recognize the direction that your life is going, this could be the day that you could switch sides if that's you. And on July the 1st, we'll baptize you as a sign that you've got a whole new future now. So let me pray for you. Would you bow your head with me if you would? So God, it's hard for us to hear about a judgment. It's hard for us. Uh, I think maybe it's even harder for us to try and make sense of our world and how broken it is how hurting it is. So we give up our, our, uh, our attempts to make sense of it all, and we just recognize that it's deeply broken, but that you love this world. You came and you offered yourself on a cross for this world. You rose again from the dead for this world. You're going to make every, everything that's wrong right now that we don't know how to fix, you're going to make it right. You're the rider on the white horse. Your name is Faithful and True. On your thigh is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we put all of our hope in that. We don't put any of our hope in our ability to pay our way out of our, our problems. We don't put any ability in our hope to think positively about our problems. We don't put our hope in anything but you, the rider on the white horse, who's faithful and true. So God, uh, pray for my friends who are here this morning who uh, they recognize that they're not on the side of the rider on the white horse. They recognize they're on the other side. And thank you that you come to people like that, that you resurrect people like that, and that you came for people in that very situation to show them how to change sides. And so if that's you, uh, just a simple way, you can just pray in your, in your own mind and heart a prayer like this. God, I'm ready to switch sides. I don't really know how to stop all this, but you do, and I'm ready to give it up. So forgive me and give me a new start. I want to be in your family. And I want to be about what you're doing. So God, you've heard that prayer. And you've paid the price for that person's heart, mind, and soul. So thank you that they're now part of your family. So God, we're grateful that you are the rider on the white horse. You are faithful and that you are true. And that you know what you're doing. Thank you pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Leave you with a blessing. You're sent from this place to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell me you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer. See you next week.